0: Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, April 12th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday and this Sunday, is April 17th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time, and for our friend Charles Willard, who's not with us today, that's 5.30 a.m., our little team Is working to be faithful to lectionary E or C, and that puts us in the Gospel of Luke for Sunday. We hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently after the lead-off person shares some formative questions, and then in this virtual discussion room we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion.
1: Sarah Nicholson in Tampa. Bill Hall, St. Petersburg, Florida.
0: And I'm Don Upton and uh, at Airport somewhere in the United States. Good to see all of you this morning. And uh Bill Hall has got our lead today, but before we have turn to him to read the scripture, I'm going to uh ask him, as we will each other for the next few days, how uh, do you prepare each week for this podcast? What resources do you go to, Bill?
1: Thank you. Um Obviously, being a retired minister, uh, usually the passages we're reviewing are somewhat familiar to me. So I begin with a, for want of a better word, a meditative approach, seeking to quiet my mind and not grab commentaries and so forth and simply settle in, live with that passage and seek to see what it says to me now. And then I go to commentaries and other podcasts um, and look at notes from sermons and so forth. But I do that later. Um, And another preparation will be reflected in my questions today. And it's very simple. What might it have meant then? What does it mean to me today? How does this Scripture, and particularly whatever comes into the forefront, uh, speak to me today. So, uh, again, you'll see that in my questions for today. I would say that's a flyover, Don, of how I approach this.
0: Well, thank you, and I look forward to hearing from everybody over the next few weeks on how they prepare. We get that question sometimes from folks that listen in. Well, Bill, it's all yours to read the Scripture and get us kicked off.
1: Thank you, and welcome to my team members and to others joining us later. The scripture for this week, uh, Easter Sunday, is Luke 24, 1-12. Briefly, I will remind us that last week in Luke, we ended with the crucifixion of Jesus. Then there's a short passage uh, having to do with the burial of Jesus by a man named Joseph, Joseph, a member of the council, and now... The rest of the story And I read from the New Revised Standard Version But on the first day of the week At early dawn They came to the tomb Taking the spices that they had prepared They found the stone Rolled away from the tomb But when they went in They did not find the body While they were perplexed about this Suddenly two men in dazzling clothes Stood beside them The women were terrified And And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stopping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now, uh, Sarah, I'm going to come to you first. I want to do a quick review that was suggested to me by one of the commentaries as we can then get to the question, Sarah. Among the four Gospels, it seems to me Luke, particularly notes and highlights the presence and role of women in the life and ministry of Jesus. Again, from the Gospel of Luke, Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Anna in the temple, the widow of Nain, the woman who anoints Jesus, a number of women who follow Jesus and provide for him and his disciples, Jairus's daughter, the woman healed of a hemorrhage, and Martha and Mary, Luke reports in chapter 3 that the women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how Jesus' body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. Then in this week's passage, it is the women who returned to the tomb and found it empty. And we read, they were perplexed. So, Sarah, you may want to comment on the role of women here, but my particular question is, how and when have you been perplexed in your spiritual journey?
2: When the truth is shared and it's thought to be an idle tale. Charles says he's at the door and it does not open. (laughs)
0: you keep going i've got it
2: okay um and and i think that's the primary frustration or the perplexity i have is that i'm surprised people hear this and are not moved by it are not touched by it in such a way that it it redirects their life um that so far has been the most perplexing part of my spiritual journey. And I would say the largest heartache. Don, what about you?
0: Thank you. Um, perplexity is a really interesting word. I associate with confusion or when people say to me, Uh, They can't deal, or you can't deal, which is shorthand for this kind of thing. And uh, I've got three examples. I think, Bill, you were suggesting we come up with where we were perplexed. One would be with text. Uh, How what we do every week as a family uh, involves uh, reexamining the assumptions that we make about these texts. And And I won't interpret, but I know there's a changing point for me where the coin in the temple held by the Christ is explained in the same way that it always was there. And Charles, Lord is ju- Charles has just joined us. We'll introduce you in a second, Charles. And uh, I, uh, I felt like the, uh, there was a point in my life Reporting where the the, the, the interpretation of that changed and I was astonished. The second is, the experience I've had, especially with um, uh, leaders or people that we would tend to see only in one dimension, stereotype them. Uh, leaders who, after experiencing uh, usually a moment of gentleness, of love or transparency, are not who you who they thought who you thought they were. And I and we've heard that from people from time. I've said it to people. Hey, you're not who I thought you were. Or the person might say to you, it's like, after what I just experienced with you, you're not the person that I thought you were. That is perplexing in many ways because it's, a, it's such a shift because we have so much power in how we stereotype people. And then the final one I would give you on perplexity, which is difficult, is the, the missing, the appointment where someone you expect doesn't show up, the table where family is used to being seated routinely and they're not present someone that doesn't show up that's expected or someone that's lost that. And I think that applies in this place. Someone that we have lost who so it takes, it takes that moment. It takes that time to realize that that absence uh, is, is so perplexing in terms of how daily life changes. So Bill, I offer up textual reading, the person who you say, hey, you're not the person I thought you were. And finally, the concept of the missing. And I think all of those apply to what we're seeing today. I'm going to pause for a minute and say that Charles Willer has joined us from Minnesota. Uh, he is an hour earlier than our time. So we always thank you, Charles, for joining us even earlier. And, uh, we're midway through the first question and, uh, Bill Hole, you can uh, introduce this
1: to uh, Charles as we keep going. Okay. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. I'm sorry about Good. that. So, uh, that's all right. Uh, no problem. Um, I am on the first question for the sake of our viewers and listeners. uh, All of my team members had this in advance. So I'm working on the concept of the women being perplexed and wondering, Charles, how and when have you been perplexed in your spiritual journey?
3: Most of the time. Most of the time. I think, uh, and the way I characterize myself that way is that, um, there's a there's a there's a there's a phrase that is, comes up from time to time uh in, in the work of uh, Christian leaders and Bible study students and people who are just talking about the text uh, and it's called it's called faith seeking understanding and I understand how that how that's people people believe and but trying to understand it and i realized after a while in my own pilgrimage that i was the other way around in my case it was understanding seeking faith uh i won't go into all the background of my recognition that um i needed to seek faith um But it goes back to the time when I was small, small, small compared to now, Um, and I I was in a confirmation class in the church in in First Presbyterian Church in Tampa, Florida. And this would have been right about the time we, uh, well, it was a confirmation class. It was when people, young people who had been baptized, uh, they now came to confirm their faith, and. I, there were about a dozen of us, and we were lined up there in front of the church, and we were asked, do you believe, and then would follow some statement of the faith that we we were owning up to at that point. And I can remember, this would have been, what now, eighty seven. this would have been probably 65 years ago that I can remember standing there uh, and they were saying, uh, do, do you believe this particular item of faith? And the 12 of us there really didn't seem to have, there, there was no option to talk about it to say, well, I'm not so sure about this one. Everybody had to say, yes, I believe. And I said, my, I, had, I heard myself saying, yes, I believe. But my, in, my, in my mind back here, I was saying, I'm not so sure about that. Um, and I, as life went along, and I ended up uh, spending three years on the mission field after graduating from the University of Florida, and then um, spending six years in divinity school um, studying the Bible. And I realized that my job, my problem, was it was not faith-seeking understanding, it was understanding, seeking faith, and it's been that way for forever.
1: Thank you, Charles. I, I can resonate with what you're saying. Um, just to dwell a moment, <clears throat> as I said, Don, in my early answer to you, I do eventually in preparation go to resources. Let me read you the definition of the Greek word perplexed in this passage in the Greek dictionary, to be without resources, to be in straits, to be left wanting, to be embarrassed, to be in doubt, not to know which way to turn, to be at a loss with oneself, be in doubt, not to know how to decide or what to do, to be perplexed. That's a kind of a piling on, isn't it? I mean, that, that is a heavy Word and it in English it comes from Latin, meaning to be entangled or to be confused. In a sense, to be perplexed is more than just I don't understand, it's I I don't know where to go from here. Um, a, A powerful word, and I can well imagine that the women who came. First of all, they came, as we know, this point has been made many times, they came prepared to do one thing. They encountered the very opposite. They came to serve, according to the customs of that day, the dead, to anoint the body, and instead the tomb is empty and these strange men are there. Now, in a strange way, their perplexity is encouraging for me because Charles, like you, I have often been perplexed. Uh, I'm not, I've told before the story of how totally off guard I was caught when I began to sense that I might be called to be a minister. Um, to to put it my way, I was thoroughly perplexed, and fortunately. I went to talk to a minister, the chair of the candidates committee, who really, really helped me about taking one step at a time. But I, in a sense, I was frozen in place. I I didn't know what to do. And Frederick Buechner says, if there's no room for doubt, then there is no room for me. Now, perplexity and doubt, I think, are somewhat related. There are things that I doubt. Um, policy Sea of Church Has us each week Reading through a book of the Bible And there's a Sunday school class And more than one of us Have expressed our perplexity At the amount of violence In the early books And particularly the passages Where scripture says God told a part of God's people To go and annihilate another part Now that's a whole other discussion How I choose to deal with that But that is to say the least perplexing um, Now Having Looked at other places That this Greek verb is used I want to read for the sake of Encouragement and comfort From Second Corinthians the 4th Chapter we are afflicted In every way but not Crushed perplexed But not driven to Despair persecuted but Not forsaken struck down but Not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. What I make of that passage is it acknowledges that we are stopped in our tracks. We are perplexed, but there's more to the story, perplexed, but not driven to despair. So that tells me the good news that no matter how perplexed I am, God is with me. Now, um, The second question, Um, in verse 4 of this week's passage, Luke states that, quote, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside the women. This Greek word for dazzling also describes Jesus' appearance during his transfiguration in chapter 9 and in Acts as Jesus is ascending. Jesus says that suddenly two men in white robes stood by the disciples. Not exactly the same word, but similar meaning. What message and meaning might we infer from Luke's seeming linkage of these three events? Um, Don?
0: Two angles, and I think it is about angles and dimensions of how people are observed. Uh, The shine, the shining, the bright. The signal. So I, I don't ha- I can't unlock this. But I'll just make a note that uh, the, the mysticism of the observer, the timeless observer, uh, and the timeless observer as an encourager. That that would be uh, for me one category that we look at this, and it is mysticism. But they they're marked for you. The brightness, the shine. Uh, as uh, the the presence of the eternal observation. And I'll just leave it at that. The second part is something I think all of us experience from time to time and can be perplexing. When we're trying to figure out what I do for a living or what the mind of a place would be, a region, a group, an industry, it's important to talk to people who have a legacy. It's important to talk to people who have a long understanding, good and bad, great experiences. They are precious, aren't they? You have a room with 100 people, and you're going to find them. And they're going to give you a sense of a rudder in the water, a sense of uh, not the kind of mystical timelessness we talked. I talked about in the first part, but... That, that you can find a place and that they have been present. Sometimes, you know, you introduce them and people go, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that you've been here all along. I didn't know you did this first. I didn't know you started this 50 years ago. I didn't. It almost is back to the perplexity of, you're not who I thought you were. You have a dimensional view. So I think there's a connection here too about Legacy. There's the mystical legacy of the observer. But there's also, think about that room where you try to seek out that person who's been standing at your side all along, who can give you a sense of context. Of course, we find out, we always find the new ones too. You put them together, and usually you can find your footing, the newcomer and the one that's been there all along. I don't think I can take it, uh, Bill, any further than that, just for those two categories. And in terms of literature, Those are always important notes about, you know, look to your left and your right. See if somebody else has another dimension that they can share with you. That's all I've got right now.
1: Thank you, Don. That was helpful. Sarah?
2: All right. So I tapped into the mysticism with you, Don. Um, It seems like these moments exist outside of time and human explanation. That maybe the moments are too bright for words, that in comprehending these moments, that words only convolute the situation and muddy the understanding. These exist or seem to exist only in these moments. What seems to exist is pure wonder, gratitude, and adoration. Like finding the warmth of the sun on your face. It doesn't need to be talked about. You just feel it. Um, Like hearing delight in a child's laughter. It can be from across the airport. It can be in the room with you. But when you hear a kid laughing, you just know joy is present. You don't have to talk about it. Or like bearing witness to somebody's passing. Those are what I would consider or I've heard talked about as thin moments, when the world of the divine and the world of humanity are 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 meeting or have a portal that opens up, if lack of better language, but it's almost like there's a moment that you don't have um, need of words, and and I would say that's kind of what I see in this dazzling moment.
1: Hope you can hear me. Uh, things have suddenly gone silent. We're fine. We're all
0: I where are
3: you with us? Uh, Sarah's is frozen. Oh, I, I okay. Got,
0: I'll, I'll be right back. We're, yeah, we're on okay. cop fly, guys. The video doesn't matter, guys. Okay. All right.
1: <laughs> Sorry for that. Um, where were we? Uh, Charles,
3: I, w- I just wanted to make a comment about dazzling. And the problem for the English reader is that we're seeing these phrases: dazzling, dazzling, white robes. Um, these are all different Greek words. They're not the same word. The word for that is translated uh, dazzling is a different Greek word from the one that is translated dazzling in the in the second line in the. In the uh, for the, the transfiguration. duration, and the white robes are well—they're just—it's not—it's. We have to be careful about how we use these things sometimes, and just and make assumptions about the way the words are. In the same way that we make assumptions about what the author meant, uh, we don't know what the author meant, and we don't know what Luke intended when he wrote these things. All the best, we the closest we can come is to create a context in which we can understand what how Luke's words would have been heard by bystanders who were listening to them uh, or uh, by readers who were reading them and that's that's a that's a limit it's a limit that we often don't acknowledge and give account to when we are talking
1: about what you know what this text means Okay. Um, not to get too far in the weeds, Charles, but according to my research, the reference in Luke 9 to the Transfiguration and in yes. Luke 24 are from the same root Greek word. Uh, and then, of course, Acts doesn't use dazzling. It says white. Now, that root word in Greek means to lighten, to flash as lightning, to be bright, to be shining. Now, um I don't know that this was Luke's purpose in using that root word twice, but to me there's a progression in this. At the transfiguration, where it said Jesus appeared in dazzling, his identity is publicly affirmed. In the resurrection, his mission is accomplished. And then at the ascension, where, again, it doesn't use the word dazzling, but it speaks of these men in white robes. Uh, He departs because part of his mission was to leave so that the followers in their imperfect way would carry on the work with the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think of that as a kind of a model for our living that, uh, and uh, I think Donna, hopefully a part of what this podcast is about. Yeah, we study and reflect. We offer our thoughts in the confidence that others will have their own journey uh, from the dazzling, if I may say it this way, quality of the gospel to the day-to-day living of of the gospel. I'm working right now. Later this year, I'll be teaching the class on uh, Proverbs in the adult formation, and I continue to be struck by how practical (laughs) and day-to-day the proverbs are uh, to me, I find them. Uh, it's, it, it's a kind of grounding in real life. It deals with anger. It deals with wealth and poverty. Uh, it deals with the truth, uh, the power of speech to harm or to, uh, nurture. Um, so to me, the, the dazzling appearance of the man shined light into the darkness of uh, the death and I agree with Sarah and Don about how there are persons (laughs) who in a sense dazzle and I think of what we've seen in the Ukraine tragedy the response of people in Poland and around the world the acts of kindness in the midst of the utter darkness of that experience there are people who dazzle with their generosity and their Creativity and their courage. All right, the third question. Um, In verse six, the two men said to the women, Remember how Jesus told you that he must be handed over to the sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Luke notes that then the women remembered Jesus' words. How did remembering impact the women and how does remembering? remembering influence our lives today for me remembering is at the heart of the gospel we know there are other passages where we are told after the resurrection the disciples reflected back on what Jesus had said taking a course in school at whatever level and thinking well what's why am I bothering studying this and only later coming to understand how that information or that skill was Um, and the Greek word for remember is the one from which we get our English word mnemonic Uh, a mnemonic device is like an acrostic it's something that helps us uh, remember and um, a phrase we use at times is remember your baptism. I was baptized in the first Christian church of Orlando when I was about two months old. I have no memory of that. The only way I know about it is my parents told me, they told all three of us, my brother and sister, that we were baptized. And I still remember, even as a young child, they stressed that it was their commitment to raise me in the faith and and my brother and sister. And as I grew older, they also, I thought, in a gentle but clear way said, Bill, we did not decide for you what your path is. We want you to be who you believe God is calling you to be, and there will be a time when you will need to make your own decision about faith. And I went to... Uh, communicants class when I was 12 or 13, uh, and like you, Charles, I certainly didn't understand anything, uh, everything, but I stepped forward, and there have been other moments of remembering, um, and again, to refer to Proverbs, Proverbs are, in a sense, a series of mnemonic devices, to be able to remember a brief affirmation that Helps in a given uh, Circumstance Um, Proverbs Advises us to be slow to Anger that's one I've needed To remember at times And I also Remember now For example the third grade vacation Bible school was on The 23rd Psalm and we to date Myself we use Flannel graph probably most People listening have no idea What I'm talking about the oh, probably many people listening. Many people listening know what we are talking about. And I remember cutting out the figure of a shepherd and sheep and putting them up there and then uh, being asked at the final thing to get up and do a part while I was saying my part of the 23rd Psalm. And I still remember it in the King James Version, by the way, of of a translation I think has yet to be improved on in the 23rd Psalm. So that was a way of remembering. And I think it is a great gift, not just in our faith, but in other things. Um, my wife and I have one of these electronic uh, picture things, and we periodically shift the thumb drive so we see our children as babies. And now we see our grandchildren. Uh, when they were younger, and all of which is is about memory, a great gift uh, from God. And one final statement, again, I've told the story several times of, in my first pastorate, feeling a kind of despair that I felt like I wasn't coming up with something new, and a wise older member of the church said, Pastor, I don't come to be told what I don't already know. I come to be reminded Of what I already know Um, Charles Memory
3: Yes I'm remembering And I've I've been carrying this thought around For a while since we got to this This text that we're working on now Um, Jerry Pelican Was a professor uh, Came to Yale the first year that I came to, you know, I was coming there as a student. And he was coming there as a full professor, and he was a—he's a very impressive was. He's no longer with us, so he's there. Um, he's a very impressive person, and the thing that I'm remembering now from his comments, one of his comments was he was talking about belief, and he said. Belief is something that changes over time. And he said, there are times when I can write down everything that I believe on a note card. It's one of these three-by-five things that we used to use when we were back in the olden days in, in, in class. So he said, I could I could write my whole faith statement down on that three-by-five card in capital letters. And it's it's just a way of, of uh, helping us to understand how faith is something that is both a present reality as well as a present changing reality uh, and our grasp of it changes as well.
1: Agreed, thank you, Charles. Sarah?
2: So in thinking about this passage, um, where have you seen the Lord? which is always a good question at this time of year, or any, any time of the year. Um, and in the gift, what does what, what the gift of remembering bring to you? Does it bring time? Does it bring love? Does it, does it bring a feeling of being valued and seen? Is it a feeling of being cherished heart and soul? Um, the gifts of remembering and hearing those words, I will be with you always, um I think the the value is it, the the remembering is the work of the spirit to me. And so the gifts of the spirit are going to be those moments where I remember what it feels like when um something profound has happened. And I think that for me that's the value of this remembering is at the time this occurs the women are perplexed, so they are without resources. They don't know which way to go. They don't know um, what their next steps are going to be. And in those moments of, I call it being frozen or locked in a particular moment, the Spirit comes to us and brings to us a remembrance that that puts our feet back into motion or puts our heart back into engagement. Um, so I think of this this remembering um, being in a a moment of uh, interaction with the divine.
1: Thank you, Sarah, Don.
0: This is a nice intersection of the divine and uh, the practical, because I think uh, memory is held in reserve and there are funny things that happen that call it up. Uh, And one of the, uh, think about on the road to Emmaus where there's this missing piece of literature where they say, like, Christ is going to unravel the scriptures for everybody as they walk, and that it is. But I think it's because it's, it's tapping into memory, that it's so personal it might not be worth even writing about. So the example I would give you is um, you say to your parents, why am I taking – Spanish class or why am I reading Dickens or why am I taking science or why am I taking algebra? What good is it? What good is it going to be? And of course you find months, years down the road, it's good, but you have to have something that prompts you to tap into it. It's that practical sometimes. And of course, what do I remember when that takes place is, oh, I remember my father saying, I remember, right? 35 years ago, he'd say, one day, you're going to tap into this. You're going to use this. I think it's that practical that you could think back to, oh, my gosh. And he was standing by my side then going, God, you need to do this. Now I remember. He's long gone, but it says if he's standing beside me. So I think that's important, too. And I can remember different people in my life who are gone, my dad, my grandmother, my grandfather, who all of a sudden are standing by me going, do you remember? You see? You see? Well, no, I didn't until this very moment. I think there's a nice intersection of the very practical, the use of our brains and the divine and that kind of thing. And uh, it also cuts to uh, the the absence of meaning as you go through life and where it clicks in. Why why am I doing this? There's no meaning in it. What is the purpose of my day? And then something comes back to help us recall. So I'll wrap up by saying I think this is the real the use of the term apocalypse, the reveal, the big life reveal. Sometimes it's that simple. We can swing all the way back and go, now I understand what it is. But back to some of the other questions you had, Bill, somebody also observing with you, somebody with a different field of vision, someone with a legacy, someone older and wiser than me when I'm a child, standing at my side. And all of a sudden, it comes rushing back, the people, the love, the moment. And I could say, "See, that's where I claim my legacy. I can go, well, I remember that. I was 10 years old. And I can smell it. I can taste it. All right. I I know who talked to me. Memory rushes back. So real. But it's because it's applied. I might be doing something very simple in my life. But I think it's a good use of the word apocalypse, a personal apocalypse where it's like, what's been revealed to you right now? Oh, my gosh, I was there. And so was she, so was he. And I'm using it now. There's a real connection, I think, to the to the eternal and that kind of a revelation. Thanks, Bill.
1: Thank you, Don, and I'll hand it back to you. Thank you, team members. Well,
0: thank you. And thank You're you welcome. for setting those questions up. Thank you, Bill. And that's, that's the way we do it every week uh, for those newcomers is we pick one person each week. We get about seven days early. To come up with some questions to get us thinking. And those questions are there for you. Many of you listen in or watch. You're preparing for a class or uh, to moderate a discussion group or something like that. And those questions are for you, too. Try them out, see what you think. Uh, and for those listening in, Palm Museo Presbyterian Church is located at 3501 West San Jose Street. That's in Tampa, Florida. And for more information, you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that site to you for other studies, prayers, sermons, great music, chance to take communion. Uh, check it out, and you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.